0: Uh, Welcome to Managing Marketing and today I'm in uh, sunny Collingwood. Uh, Catching up with an old colleague of mine, uh, Steve Emanuel, who's now the managing director of a company, exciting company called Spyglass. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, Darren. Thanks for having me. Um, Well, it's great to catch up because I think you know, um, until we uh, saw each other the other day, it had been. 20, too long. 20 odd years. Yeah, yeah, too long. <laughs> Let's just say too long. But that was back at uh, the JWT days. That's that right. was early on in uh, both our, well, early on in your career, probably not in mine.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, it was a long time ago, but a very much a fun time and uh, I think helped me certainly sharpen my focus for where I'm
0: at now cuz uh, from my perspective you've had a really interesting career in mm-hmm. that uh, JWT was uh, an agency role mm-hmm. but you've spent as much time in uh, on the marketing side haven't you
1: yeah yeah I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have spent time on both sides of the fence so to speak so uh, i guess the first half of my career was predominantly agency side uh, and in that in that sense learned a lot about you know the nuances of marketing and advertising and helping clients get the best out of their of their products and services and then being a client myself for the other half of my career has also sharpened my focus around understanding what 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 help uh, um, and support clients need in order to to be better at what they do and and sell more of what they're trying to sell. So uh, the balance of the two worlds has really helped me um, uh, develop a skill set that's led me to uh, to. Play my role at
0: Spyglass. Yeah. So um, when I met you, you were very much a direct marketer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the, the place. And and I remember in those days, direct marketing was like the the poorer cousin of it's the it was of very mainstream so, yeah. agencies, so wasn't it?
1: Right, it was. It was. And I guess it, it probably wasn't as, as as sexy as the mainstream side of things because. Again, you know, in terms you of mean, where we are now. licking
0: envelopes, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> licking
1: envelopes and, and
0: sticking Measuring on.
1: response rates and uh, working with databases and all those sorts of things. So, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't the sexy side of things. It wasn't putting things on TV and those sorts of things predominantly.
0: But, but look, it's evolved, right. it's changed massively. It, no, yeah, it, I think it, the tide has turned. It's not just evolved. It's like this switch got thrown. <laughs> that's right. And that's right. everything now, but, but people don't call it direct marketing. No, interesting. Isn't that interesting. the weird thing? It's, you know, it's data analytics and insights. <laughs> it's, it's always terrifically impressive yes. titles. I think but everybody's it, it reinvented really,
1: themselves. Yeah. It really is
0: direct marketing. <laughs> it, it is
1: fundamentally. I think, I think the principles of direct marketing haven't changed all that much. As you said, it's got lots of different fancy names now, but fundamentally the principles of getting your data right, analysing your data and making sure your data's working for you is what direct
0: marketing was all about back then. Mm. And I think uh, my observation, especially in a digital world, you know, and everyone seems to have come to technology from different perspectives. You know, you've got your pure play tech people that have come from a very much a development Perspective, and then you've got uh, those that have come from advertising or design or you know some other part of the comms industry Mm -hmm. that have got into technology and embraced it because you know you had to, Mm -hmm. Um, and then there is the stream of the direct marketers or the one to one marketers or the interactive marketers, you know, they they had different titles all back then. But of those three, it seems to me that the interactive marketers had the smallest leap. Because they already had the methodology yep. and the strategy. Very much so. All they had was new channels. Yep. Everyone else had to relearn yep. marketing.
1: Well, in that sense, it's it's an exciting time for everybody. I mean, because there are there is so much change going on, and making sure that you you are constantly learning and evolving your skill and your trade is, is the key to the key to success in any industry, particularly in this one. Mm. So um, that's where we find ourselves today: is relearning, developing new ideas to leverage data and make sure that it's uh, working for the clients that we service and there's no doubt today there is an absolute abundance of data Um, and part of the challenge that that we try to work with with clients and, and some
0: of the conversations that we have with clients is there's so much data they don't quite know where to start your first job out of university was in as an uh, analyst, analyst that's analyst. right an analyst <laughs> yes. no, an analyst yeah, yeah. At um, yeah. yeah. Um, so very much from the get-go you had a, a data very much so yeah so analyst. back then it, it was
1: all about um, uh, a lot of what people still do today and that is profiling their customer base understanding who um, bought our products uh, understanding what their demographic profile was and again ultimately trying to understand what the purchase and behaviour triggers were so that the comms team and the broader marketing team could leverage that information to help help grow the business. Um, so yeah, I've got that good foundation.
0: Alright, so when you left agencies way back then and you started working as a marketer, um, where, where did that sort of direct marketing focus land? Well, very
1: much down, uh, predominantly down the business to business path. So um, I, I I moved um, into the client side um, soon after my agency time, and uh, and spent a bit of time in the uh, the business to uh, business client mm-hmm. side of the marketing world. And business to uh, business, even to this day, is still predominantly direct marketing based because you know, when you're marketing yourselves to a business, um, you know, there are so many more elements uh, that you need to factor in to be able to get that business to do whatever it is you're hoping them to do. Um, So my skill set sort of fit neatly into that sector, if you like, Um, and uh, I work my way through the the corporate world across that part of my career, leveraging those skills across various organisations.
0: One of the observations I've made with uh, marketing in a B2B environment is that in some organisations, marketing is a support to sales. And in others, marketing helps lay the groundwork for sales. So one it follows and the other it leads. Have you experienced those differences? Absolutely. I think
1: um, it's fair to say in the B2B world, it's one of those ones where um, marketing is led by sales. Uh, Sales very much maintain a uh, traditional one-to-one relationship with with clients. Um, So yeah, and and developing the marketing strategies to support the sales team is often very difficult because so much of it is done one-to-one. And on the other side of the coin, uh, working in organisations where marketing is the lead driver is is equally as exciting, um, but perhaps a little less uh, tangible in, in the sense of being able to measure the outcomes of some of the things that you're doing although in this day and age being able to measure everything is is so easy
0: because mm. uh, I think one of the big changes is uh, you know content marketing and using that as part of an inbound marketing strategy in that B2B space you know we yep. we're seeing a lot of successful companies using content as a way of bringing their B2B clients to them mm-hmm. and then having a conversion, you know, automated marketing conversion process mm-hmm. to almost qualify them so that you can hand to sales yep. a qualified hot lead that they then build the relationship and, and maximize the conversion.
1: So what an exciting time it is for marketers to have all of those tools at their uh, at their disposal to be able to, to drive things in such a tangible, um, measurable way. Uh, is exciting. Uh, so, so being able to play that role of physically handing leads over to your to your sales team uh, must be extraordinary.
0: Because it, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? B 2 B is not as uh, as high profile from an agency's perspective, no. is it? No, it's as not. it is B is C. You know, uh, marketing, advertising to customers is that sort of sexy and yep. still in agencies. And yet when you look at the dollars spent and the return on that investment, B2B has to be one of the big drivers of business. Well it
1: absolutely is and and, and I think like I said before there's so many elements to the B2B marketing strategy that you need to take into account. Um, and I think on that basis B2B marketers are traditionally perhaps arguably more accountable for what it is that they are outputting because the tools that they create are going straight into the hands of salespeople, who generally salespeople who then have to take it and they're going to get feedback straight away. Whereas a B2C marketer might not often get feedback instantly no. because <laughs> they're either waiting for their research report to come through or whatever the case might be. So um, I think the, uh, the skill set of a B2B marketer, they've got to be much more nimble and agile on their feet to be able to move with the times as they get the feedback
0: from the salesforce. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and then if we switch across to B2C, especially mm-hmm. going back to direct marketing, it's interesting that companies seem to, in that B2C space, spend a huge amount of money, time and effort on acquisition mm-hmm. compared to retention. Well, it's it, it, fascinating, isn't it? It's, it's one of those um, discussions that has
1: has been around for years, um, the, the balance between acquisition versus retention. And I think in this day and age, um, everybody has a view. Um, Predominantly, certainly the clients that, that we've come across in uh, our time in Spyglass has, has shown us that acquisition still, still seems to be a bit of a focus for many.
0: The um, sexy part? <laughs> it is the
1: sexy part, there's no question. Um, but fundamentally, I think one of the interesting changes that the digital revolution has, has brought about is we all know consumers of any type have so much choice. Mm. And, and often, um, you know, w- w- with the amount of tools that the consumer has at their disposal, the challenge of, of um, getting new customers is a lot more difficult than it used to be. So what we're starting to see is a trend, towards, a trend back towards uh, customer retention. Um, companies want to make sure that the foundations they've built to establish their brand in the first place still remain strong and often that's just as simple as trying to hold on to the customers that you've got. Um, I don't think there's either one way or the other. I think there's always a good balance between acquisition and retention, but certainly retention has come up through the
0: foot. Look, I, I absolutely agree, except that when we look at overall marketing investment, you know people talk a lot about brand but pure investment in brand can be as little as 10 to 20 yeah. percent then you can have up to 70 percent in acquisition mm-hmm. and the balance that little bit on the left almost as an afterthought is retention yeah and it worries me because it's so much time and effort filling up the bucket yes yeah you know, and and the bucket's a great metaphor for this and yet there's these big gaping holes, holes at the bottom of the so much churn these days because consumers have choice Mm. but there's not a lot of time and effort put into retention Mm. Uh, certainly not from an investment point of view Mm. there could be in time spent thinking about it and analyzing it but I'm not sure that uh, companies actually are spending as much as they should
1: no look I I couldn't agree more Um, and again we're seeing that a lot with the clients that we're talking to and and I think the evolution of more and more tools that will start to make the challenge of retention easier for organizations will start to hopefully see a shift towards that
0: well, I'm wondering because uh, uh, on a very disclosing moment, mm-hmm. one client said to me, oh, Look, we focus on acquisition because that's what we're measured on. <laughs> right, okay? I take so, that. so even if we add half a million customers yeah. and lose 600,000 of them, yeah. i.e., deficit of 100,000, <laughs> yes. we've still created half a million yes. customers. That's and that's all we have to do. Yeah. So I'm wondering whether it's because the organization looks at it from that perspective yeah. that if I keep acquiring customers, then somehow I'm in front eh, because they won't lose more customers than they acquire.
1: Yeah.
0: (coughs) And they also see that as measurable spend Mm. because there is no measure of lifetime value of customer. You know, if customer only has value in a financial period, Mm. you can't carry that across. Is, Is this two fundamental flaws in the way we measure business performance? that stops people focusing on retention?
1: Well, look, I couldn't agree more, absolutely. And I think more and more it's that whole, um, well, I've ticked the box because I've secured X number of new clients uh, or X number of new customers this particular month um, mentality that's driving a lot of that. Um, I think the mentality is driven also predominantly by, well, I've got that customer on board. The responsibility of growing that customer is now moving to another area, whether it be retail stores, whether it be the online space or whatever. And so the departments in charge of, of growing the business in that sense are almost thinking in silos. You know, mm-hmm. My job is to get the business in, it's the other part of the business job to cultivate that business and grow it. And as then a, ultimately retain it. And ultimately retain it. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's that di- that dichotomy of roles that, that people just aren't seeing from a structural perspective in terms of how change in, it changes in the way people think can ultimately affect and impact. the the amount of customer attention that an organisation is able to maintain.
0: Yeah, because I I never quite understood that argument. Because you can actually, you know, every business measures its churn from its base. Mm -hmm. So if you could actually um, work out the, uh, the percentage that you reduce that churn, you must be able to show a return on investment.
1: Well, not only that, but, but exactly. But first of all, exactly, I think um, not as many co- companies that we've seen are actively measuring churn. Um, I know it's a, a concept that everybody's familiar with, but whether or not it, it actually rates on an organization's performance dashboard is interesting. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of marketers that talk about it, a lot of salespeople that talk about it, a lot of CEOs, CFOs talk about it. Um, But I'm not actually seeing it appear on a lot of the core dashboard-based KPIs that Mm. a lot of organisations are looking at. They're still looking at sales growth margin and and the traditional KPIs. Yeah, top line growth. Top line growth. Rather than the bottom line. Exactly. And as opposed to understanding the composition of that top line growth. Is that top line growth coming from existing customers growing their spend Mm. or is it coming from new customers entering the business? And I think they're the sorts of fundamental changes that need to happen from the top down in order to start to... Um, get the emphasis back onto retention that, that
0: needs to happen. Yeah, um, it, it, Look, it's, it's really interesting because I think it's still retention. And I know Spyglass, uh, just explain a little bit about how you're helping um, uh, marketers and businesses. Retain.
1: Well, look, essentially Spyglass is a business intelligence platform designed to help with customer retention. Um, it uses machine learning algorithms um, that people are becoming more and more familiar with machine learning algorithms to analyse your uh, transactional sales data uh, and other data as well, we can plug in lots of other data sources, um, and starts to look at the behaviour in that transactional data to provide you um, with a a prediction as to the relative um, propensity for that customer to churn. So essentially what we're able to do through this machine learning algorithm is provide you with a... Uh, percentage uh, probability of each customer uh, churning based on their history. We know that somebody's past behaviour is the best predictor of their future behaviour, mm. and so. Oh, a nice,
0: Dr. Phil quote there. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> and so, what our algorithm does is it is it uh, it learns from that, and it, and it spits out at the end. A listing by customer and their relative. So uh, it
0: means that you can much, much faster and easier identify which customers are correct. most at risk of, of, of churning. churning. Exactly right, and and which al- would make it easier then to specifically target focus or deliver programs that could help them retention. stay in. Yeah. Exactly right, and so uh,
1: our algorithm can churn through you know millions of records of data in in seconds. Mm. And it provides you with that output and then the beauty for a marketer or a salesperson or for the organisation in general is to look at that listing and prioritise the allocation of sales resources, prioritise the allocation of marketing budgets, prioritise the allocation of resources business-wide to focus on that particular segment.
0: Uh, Steve it sounds brilliant but I can already hear the telco marketers going yes but our prepaid customers churn on price you know all we have to do is match the price that's in the marketplace and we'll keep them um, but there must be other programs it's not just prices oh, uh, no, retention look, programs are not just about matching price no
1: not at all not at all in fact um, one of the beauties of, of our algorithm is is that it's never we, we haven't created a cookie cutter algorithm to just apply to every single business. Every single client we work with, uh, we have we go through an initial discovery phase. And that mm-hmm. discovery phase is all about learning some of the nuances in the, about their customers and what does make them tick. Yeah. We then work through the various um, uh, data uh, formats that the client has and we factor them in to the construct of the algorithm for that customer. So if there are particular nuances in your data that, that you believe influence customer behavior and we can apply that through the algorithm, we can then provide you with that uh, churn prediction that's going to be very, very tailored and specific to your business. So nice. we can factor in seasonality, uh, we can factor in social media uh, contact, we can factor in a whole raft of different online and digital data that you may have. It's not purely about how much, how many did they buy, how often did they buy, and how much for. There's well, because almost that. anyone could do that already. Exactly right. Okay. Exactly right. So the beauty of the of the work that we're doing through Spyglass is we're we're tailoring our algorithm to suit each customer to ensure that they get a, a level of output specific to their business that they can feel confident in as they choose to uh, redirect resources to focus on retention. I,
0: I can see from uh, what I know of you and your background that this uh, really appeals to you yep. because it's re- it's really about relationship marketing isn't it? Very much And so. using technology yep. to be able to identify those customers. And, and also, it's interesting because for me, it sits in that, uh, that line between sales and marketing, yeah. which people get so bent out of shape over, do yeah, not they?
1: they do. Well, it's interesting you say that. Um, one of the recent case studies we've just completed with a, a small organisation out in Burwood. Um Ten person business, they sell um, you know, antenna parts to lots of antenna installers and so on. And, and a classic case of uh, there was a sales team and there was the, the, the owner. Um, And of course the sales team and the owner perhaps weren't seeing eye to eye as to what the relative priorities were. Uh, We went in and and sat down with the owner and and ran the algorithm through their data and we were able to tell him things that he'd never knew about his customers before. Um, And instantly uh, he was able to share that with his his sales team and uh, almost get this unification perhaps that he never had before. So well, an
0: alignment, an alignment, agreement, an yeah. agreement between uh, their perspectives of yeah. their customers, and,
1: and as a result of that, um, they were all on board with the with the subsequent follow up strategy, which consisted of simple things like picking up the phone and calling the top twenty eight percent of the customers, sending out emails, and so fundamentally the process by which you engage your customers doesn't necessarily always have to change. It just has to perhaps be a renewed focus on a
0: particular segment. Well, it brings a strategy and a framework to the way you manage your customer base. But but then going back to the the original point here, which is companies spend so much more on acquisition. acquisition. Yeah, and I'm wondering if you had any experience, even in your um, as a marketer, yeah. of where um, you're able to prove that retention gives you a better ROI than acquisition. Because oh. everyone knows their cost of lead and cost of conversion. Yeah,
1: look, look, there's no doubt. I mean, I, I'm quoting numbers off the top of my head might might be a challenge, but uh, in my previous life, we you know we developed various retention tools such as loyalty programs and a whole raft of um, tactics like that. Um, and there's there's no doubt, growing the business of the customers that you have is far easier. So whether that's B2B or B2C, these people have a relationship with you, they have a connection to your brand and your business. Mm-hmm. Um, and focusing on them, showing them the love that you need to show them on a regular basis is, is more often than not the key to success for any organisation.
0: Now, I want to change direction sure. here because before Spyglass, mm-hmm. You started your own agency. That's right. Yeah. Interesting choice. You had. Uh, <laughs> uh, you started off in uh, banking. Mm-hmm. You then went or bank marketing. You then went into agency, and then you worked client in side. Uh, client side. Oh, yeah. And then you started your own agency. Yeah. What happened? Was it a brain aneurysm? <laughs> a, uh, a,
1: no, no, no. I, I felt uh, I felt I could do it better, um, which uh, <laughs> I guess is the <laughs> I guess is the uh, the genesis of a lot of people starting a business, but. Um, from my perspective having having spent a lot of time on the client side in a b2b sense i I absolutely felt that the uh, agency the skill set amongst the agency world when it came to b2b marketing was non-existent I dealt pretty with,
0: good pretty good analysis
1: yeah right? I, I dealt with a lot of high-end agencies a lot of medi- medium-sized agencies and small agencies and and all of them um, apply b B2, b2c thinking to a b2b marketplace and it's And you can to a degree, you can do that, but but predominantly if you're looking for success, that's not going to work. Because there are so many other factors that influence a B2B purchase choice. Things like cash flow and and, and staff retention and all those sorts of things impact um, a B2B sale and and you can't always apply B2C thinking. So uh, I started up uh, that particular business with a business partner of mine who came from the same uh, background, similar background. Because we honestly felt sitting across the table from a C market a B2B marketer, sorry, that we could add more value because we were, we were at their level of understanding uh, straight off the bat. They didn't have to teach us uh, about the sales process behind their particular business. It was always a case of okay, we knew, we know what these particular customers of yours are looking for. Let's just focus on focusing on how to fix it.
0: Yeah, uh, so what was it 10 years 12 12, 12 years, years yeah. 12 years running an agency look I get a lot of people approach me um, you know they've left a big agency yeah. or and, and they've got this idea of starting an agency Yeah. and uh, look and my standard cynical response and you know me <laughs> yes. um, is uh, that, yeah, exactly what the world needs another agency <laughs> <laughs> yes. what was the biggest challenge for? You, do you feel in starting an agency from day one opening the doors mm-hmm. and actually because you have to say 12 years is the sign of successful business yeah yeah so what was it what was the biggest challenge in making an agency successful
1: uh, sim- quite simply people um, you you need to surround yourself with um, good people um, when the business was started it was myself and my business partner and mm-hmm. so we dealt with all the client um yeah. challenges and issues and opportunities Um, And in that space it's very easy to control um, the output um, that the agency creates because you're the one creating it. it. Um, But as your business starts to grow and as you need to delegate more and more of that responsibility out, it's uh, it's a challenge making sure you've got the right people that can uh, live your culture, uh, understand your values and be able to articulate the appropriate strategies at the right time. And fundamentally. Uh, what hasn't changed in agencies, in my opinion, since day one, is the ability of any person to just strike up a relationship with a client because mm-hmm. the, the the true uh, challenge in, agency world, in the agency world of building your business is having a relationship with your client such that the client tells you things and gives you insights that perhaps they're not realizing they're giving you. Um, We all rely on research and research is critically important of course but sometimes sitting across the table having a cup of coffee with your client and understanding the real things that annoy them and frustrate them about their day are the little pearls of wisdom that you get that help influence a creative idea or a strategic idea. Um, and really understanding your customers at that level as well is key.
0: It's really interesting you say that because often feedback we get from clients when they've gone through a pitch or selection process is that it really annoys them the attitude many agencies will bring to the table which is that the agency is the expert (laughs) and they've got all the solutions and really the client doesn't have a lot to add to that (laughs) i think that's part of what you're saying yeah
1: absolutely absolutely the other
0: thing is that i've noticed and i'd be interested in your observations that you know marketers are expecting their, their agencies to be able to think beyond just advertising yep. into the broad, you know, be able to frame the broader business case as well, or the broader business challenge. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's also something that's happened over recent time?
1: No doubt. And I think, I think some agencies will struggle with that. Um, I think, um, but there's no doubt that there's more accountability for agencies to be able to add value at that particular level. Um, I, I know I started to see that more and more towards the end of my agency uh, business time. Um, and, and it's becoming more and more challenging for agencies. Gone to the day we just asked to come in and design an ad for a particular magazine, <laughs> it's uh, a lot more involved than that. And I think the skill sets that people need to have um, when either starting agencies or working for agencies are, are expanding more often than not.
0: And when you. Uh in your agency with that b2b focus were you dealing as much with marketers as you were with salespeople, or was it primarily marketers uh
1: no it was a, a probably a good 60 40 in favor of salespeople. right um, more often than not it was the salespeople that that as we discussed before were predominantly driving the agenda and the marketing people were still involved in that process of course but but they were there to work with us on once the st- strategy was developed so mm. Um, more often than not, it was a it was a collaborative and collective process, um, but often led on the client side by the sales team. And then once once we had agreement at the strategic level, then we would work with the marketing team to make it happen.
0: So Mark Ritson, know Professor Mark Ritson, mm-hmm. who's got an opinion on almost everything to do with marketing. Yep. Um, he's famously said that uh, sales and marketing are at completely opposite ends of each other. He said marketing. The purpose of marketing is to drive margin and value mm-hmm. and the purpose of sales is to drive volume and he said the reason that there are different ends is that if you ask a salesperson what they want they want more sales by having more varieties that are more accessible at a lower price mm-hmm. and a marketer will be wanting uh, greater margins and premium and building brand so do you agree with that uh, that observation? Oh, look,
1: in in some respects I do, um, but I like to keep the definition uh, about the two worlds more simple than that. Uh, to me, what I was was always espousing to my clients uh, and to the staff that I used to uh, work with um, on the client side was the job of marketing is to bring the buyer and the seller together, uh, particularly in a B2B sense, but it also works for the B2C. By bringing the buyer and the seller together, the interaction will happen, and then it's up to the quality of the product and all the other various... Uh, things to uh, make that sale happen, but, but if you, in my opinion, if you always kept the definition nice and simple, if you're bringing the buyer and the seller together sales will happen, margin will grow, uh, um, volume will grow, um, but the core principles haven't changed in my mind and that is the job of the market is been the buyer and the
0: seller together to make that happen. Mm. I, have a, uh, I have a slightly different view of the world it's, and, and it depends on the strategy of the company. When it's sales-led Sales are definitely looking at marketing to help them push the relationship to being a delivering in financial terms. Mm-hmm. But I think increasingly the world has changed yeah. and that that model is going by the wayside. That in actual fact, we're living, and social media, the concept of social selling, Mm -hmm. you'd be aware (laughs) of, right? Um, That social media means that brands, even B2B brands, need to build a reputation and awareness before the salesperson even makes contact, that marketing has a most important role in B2B by actually laying the groundwork that attracts the B2B customer Mm -hmm. so that then the salespeople can build the relationship and fix on it. And so I see that the two have very different roles, but they're complementary. The only decision that a CEO of any organisation, B2B organisation, needs to make is are they going to be Mm sales-led or Mm marketing-led? There's no equal parts. It's going to be one or the other. Mm. What do you think of... uh,
1: Well, interesting, yeah. Um, I think we're starting to see um, a lot more um, hybrid roles appearing. Mm -hmm. I've noticed a lot more titles out there that says general manager sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there is a genuine attempt by some organisations to bridge that divide. um, And I think that's great. I think fundamentally, um, the CEO's job is to make sure that everybody's working towards the same goal, and that is and that is business Top
0: growth, line growth, <laughs> <Mineralized> cost, <laughs> yeah, exactly. maximum profit.
1: Exactly. And so, shareholder value. Uh, yeah. If that if that starts to develop, and, and the the gap between sales and marketing is is finally bridged, then I think any company that gets that chemistry right is on a winning formula.
0: You just said something that uh, makes me smile, which is sales and marketing, because I always say to people whatever order you put them in shows your strategic bent. Because <laughs> if you say sales and marketing, you think sales leads yeah. marketing. And if you say marketing, marketing and sales, <laughs> marketing leads sales. Yeah. So clearly clearly, you've had enough time working yes, on yeah. the marketing side yeah, sure. and being browbeaten by the sales sure. director that sure. we need more bunting to go yeah. on the events. Yeah. The guilty. reason we didn't make sales this month is because you didn't do the brochure yeah. I wanted. Yes,
1: yes, you were late with the print or something. Yeah, yeah. No, guilty as <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, Steve, that's been uh, it's been terrific catching up and having right. a chat. Thanks, Darren. Yeah. Um, so, Spyglass, what's yep. what's the future? What are you do? What are you working on at the moment? Well, we're, we're working on it?
1: a number of uh, new clients at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're having conversations with uh, people from the banking sector right down to the B two B sector, small, medium, large. Um, we're about to launch a, a new website, Spyglass uh, spyglass.com. Um, very soon, in the next few weeks. We've produced an instructional video that we're also about to release, which you'll see on our website shortly. Um, I'm heading over the state, so we've got two offices. Our head office is in San Mateo, California, mm-hmm. uh, so in the heart of Silicon Valley. Uh, I'm heading up the Asia-Pacific office here in Collingwood, Melbourne. Uh,
0: uh, it must irritate the hell out of you being in Collingwood, being a Essendon supporter. <laughs> it does, actually. It does. Why aren't you wearing your jumper? Because
1: <laughs> I'll, 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 yeah, I'll get beat up, <laughs> up if I walk down the streets. So look, it, it, uh, Spyglass is on an exciting growth path and, um, uh, and we're hoping more and more people start to adopt the notion of predictive analytics and understand how it can help um, make customer
0: attention a lot more easier for them. So if there's marketers, and there are marketers listening to this podcast, what is it that they need to be considering that they should be calling you? Look,
1: if if you're looking for a very simple way to grow your sales line through a focus on customer attention, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, oh, that's 30%. <laughs> really the other 70% are all about acquisition. <laughs> well, they need to change. Um, look, f- fundamentally, uh, I-, I think one of, the, one of the reasons why retention um, has often been put to one side is it's, it's, a, it's been perceived as often a difficult beast to try and master and, and, and to measure. Um, we're very confident with Spyglass that not only can we um, help you identify easier ways to make it happen, but the ways in which we can help you actually provide a tangible measure of the improvement in customer attention is something that, that we're very proud of with our products. So give us a call, log on to our website.
0: You can't give your mobile number, okay? <laughs> no, that's not fair enough. But uh, a final question. Sure. Um, you've worked agency side, you've worked client side, which is your favourite?